Appreciate Seth leading us in those songs, especially that last one. It's what it's all about, isn't it? Because of God's amazing grace, our chains are gone. We're no longer enslaved to our sin. We're no longer enslaved to death. We're no longer enslaved to our guilt as followers of Jesus. And what a message of good news that is. A message that we've been able to see over the past couple of weeks here at Seven Oaks. Of course, I'm sure that many of you know, last Sunday morning after worship service, Peyton and Joseph Mikas made the decision to put on Christ in baptism. And if you haven't heard yet, then I would like to be the one to tell you. I'm sure Michael has it in the announcements, but I'm so excited that Max Mahan made the decision to be baptized into Christ after our worship service this morning. So uh, what a great couple of weeks it's been where we've been able to see for ourselves the amazing grace of God that chains are no longer there. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, I appreciate Luke reading that scripture reading for us in verses 18 through 21. My only regret is that I didn't make it a little longer. Luke likes really long scripture readings, if, if you didn't know that. I gave him kind of a short one here tonight. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. Tonight, I want us to center our minds on one question. And I think it's a question that's really important for us to think about as followers of Jesus. What fills your life? What is it that fills your heart? What is it that fills your mind? What is it that fills your life? We're familiar with the idea of filling something, aren't we? Whenever you're thirsty, what do you do? You get a cup, you put it under the tap, maybe you have some kind of fancy water filter, you fill up the cup as much water as you need, then you're able to drink it. Whenever your car is running low on gas, you drive over to the gas station, you fill up the gas tank with gas. Whenever you're hungry, which in this picture, I think this guy's a little bit more hangry, you know, a mixture between being hungry and being angry, but whenever you're hungry, what do you do? You fill up your stomach with food. We're familiar with this idea of filling up something. So the question this evening is, what fills your life? What is it that fills your heart? What is it that fills your mind? I believe that's a question that Paul helps us to think about when we look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. The verse that we're ready for in our study of the book of Ephesians where Paul gives us two commands. The first command is in the negative. The second command is in the positive. The first command tells us what we shouldn't do. And the second command tells us what we should do instead. Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. What fills your life? Paul says instead of being filled with wine, we should be filled with the Spirit. We should live Spirit-filled lives. Instead of living under the influence of alcohol, we should live under the influence and guidance of God's Spirit. Instead of living a life that's defined by, I think older translations like King James, New King James, uses the word dissipation. Instead of living a life that's defined by debauchery. Instead of living a life that's defined by wastefulness. As Christians, we are to be defined, we are to live lives that are defined by what comes from the Spirit. The good things that comes from the Spirit. What fills your life? Paul says, here's what should fill your life. Instead of being filled with wine, we are to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean though? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? 
Before we go any further, I think there's a distinction that we need to make between being filled with the Spirit and being indwelled by the Spirit. When Paul talks about being filled by the Spirit, we're not talking about being indwelled by the Spirit. And when Scripture talks about the Spirit indwelling us, living inside of us, we're not talking about being filled with the Spirit. So let's make that distinction here for just a couple of minutes. Whenever you go over to Acts chapter 2, Peter's standing before a group of Jews on the day of Pentecost. Thousands and thousands of Jews. And he preaches a message to them that was very powerful. He talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he talks to them about how they're the ones responsible for putting to death the one whom God has made both Lord and Christ. The text says in Acts 2 and verse 37, the verse right before this one, that when they heard this message, they were cut to their hearts. It convicted them. And they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we need to do about this? We're the ones who have killed the Son of God. How can we make it right? And Peter tells them how to make it right. He says, repent, change the way you think, so that you'll change the way that you live. Repent and be baptized. Literally, be immersed. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What happens whenever we as individuals choose to repent of our sins and we choose to be baptized by the authority in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? Paul says it's in that moment, rather Peter says it's in that moment that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in that moment where God's Spirit begins to live inside of us. If you look at the next verse in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, Peter says this promise is for you, his original audience. He says this promise is for your children, your descendants, and it's for all of those who are far off, as many as the Lord God shall call to Himself. It's a promise that is meant for the rest of time. If you repent and you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, God's Spirit will begin to live inside side of you. We see a similar idea in Acts the fifth chapter. When you look at verse number 32, it's the same speaker, Peter. He says, we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit, watch it, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Whenever I obey God, when I submit my life to Him, whenever I repent and I'm baptized for the forgiveness of sins, God gives His Spirit to me. And when you make that decision, God gives His Spirit to you. We find something similar in Ephesians, the first chapter. If you go back just a few chapters from where we are in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, In Him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Whenever we hear the word of truth, when we hear the good news about Jesus offering salvation to all people, and we place our trust in Him, when we place our trust in Jesus to the point that we're willing to obey those things that He's told us to do, Paul says that God seals us with His promised Holy Spirit. It's a promise that God has made to all people. If you'll submit your life to Me, if you'll become My child, if you'll place your trust in Me and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, then I will give you My Spirit. What we're saying is that as Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. When you go to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, Paul asks a question. Do you not know that you are God's temple and watch it, that God's Spirit dwells in you? You. 
You go over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. He says, Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Oh, I... I don't need the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't dwell inside of me. The the Spirit only dwells inside of the Word. Have you heard people make that argument before? Paul says, if the Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you don't belong to Jesus. You go just a couple verses later, Romans 8 and verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we've submitted our lives to Him. And as a result of that, the Spirit is living inside of us. The Spirit, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Being indwelled by the Spirit is not something that we do. It's something that we receive when we submit ourselves in obedience to Jesus. Now, being indwelled by the Spirit is not the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. When you look in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, being filled with the Spirit is something that we're supposed to do. It's a command. It's an imperative in Greek. It's something that we can either choose to obey or to not obey. I think this illustration helps me when I think about the difference between being filled with the Spirit and being indwelled by the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I don't really like white milk. I don't know if there's anybody else in here that doesn't like white milk, but I love chocolate milk. So sometimes what I'll do, if I only have white milk available, I'll take some, you've you've done this before, right? You take some Hershey's chocolate syrup and you pour it into your glass of white milk. When you first pour the syrup into the milk, you can't really see a difference. It's not really visible, right, when you first put it in there. But what happens when you take a spoon and you stick it in the glass and you stir it up? Well, that's when the white milk starts to turn brown. That's when it goes from bad stuff to good stuff, right? That's when you're able to visibly see the change that this is not white milk anymore. This is chocolate milk. That helps me to think about this. As Christians, we are indwelled by the Spirit. That's like the Hershey's chocolate syrup sitting inside of the white milk. It might be visible. It might not be visible. But each and every one of us are indwelled by the Spirit. Now, the difference is being filled with the Spirit. When you stick the spoon inside of the cup and you start to stir it around and that's when it makes a visible difference, you're able to see it turn from white to brown. That's what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. As Christians, we're all indwelled by the Spirit, but when we're filled with the Spirit, it's going to make a difference in our lives. You're going to see that in the kind of decisions that we make, in the way that we choose to live. Don't be drunk with wine. He says that's wastefulness. But live under the influence of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit who lives inside of you. Now, the million dollar question is how do we do that? Like we said, this is a command that we can choose to obey or not obey. How do we live Spirit-filled lives? How do we live lives in obedience to this command? How are we filled with the Spirit? Well, when you continue reading, Paul doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us how to do it. If you look at it technically, he gives us the command called an imperative in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. The command is be filled with the Spirit. And then in verses 19 through 21, he gives us five different participles that tell us how to fulfill the command. 
I have to check my English teacher back there to make sure that's right. Right, Glo? Is, is, is that good? The command is what we're supposed to do, and the imperatives tell us how to fulfill that command. So Paul, he says, here's what you're supposed to do. Be filled with the Spirit, and then he moves on to tell us how to do it. Number one, Paul says we live Spirit-filled lives by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Verse number 19. Notice that being filled with the Spirit is not just an emotional experience. You might feel a little bit awkward whenever you hear that phrase, being filled with the Spirit. We don't use it a lot. But it's not something that's just based in feeling. It's not something that's miraculous. It's not something that's supernatural. We're filled with the Spirit, Paul tells us, when we're addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In that, Paul is picturing the assembly. Whenever we come together as the body of Christ to spend time in worship to God. Of course, when we sing songs of praise, we're praising God. We're telling Him how we feel about Him. We're giving Him praise and glory and honor that's due His name for who He is and what He's done in our lives. But just like singing has a vertical aspect to it, it also has a horizontal aspect to it. Whenever we sing songs of worship together, certainly we're praising God, but according to verse number 19, we are also addressing one another. When we sing praise to God, we're not just telling God how we feel about Him, but when I'm singing, you're able to be encouraged by that. And when you're singing, I'm able to be encouraged by that. Have you ever seen that in your life? Have you ever experienced that when it happens? I think I told you a while back, in a, a sermon maybe a few months ago that the last church I worked at, Red Walnut Church of Christ, I started out as the youth minister. The preacher had been there for about eight years. He was also a professor at Freed Hardman. Well, when I'd been working as the youth minister for about seven months, it was in February, he ended up having a massive heart attack and passing away. Well, the same week that he passed away was CYC weekend, which is coming up in just a month. I was planning on taking the youth to Challenge Youth Conference the very weekend that he ended up passing away. So it was a hard decision. We ended up deciding to go ahead and go. So that Saturday, after we went to the morning worship service at CYC, we came back. The time worked out to where we were able to live stream his funeral. It was a very emotional experience. We'd all grown to love him a lot. But you know what we did as soon as the funeral ended as soon as the live stream was over we started singing and as we started singing of course we were worshiping God and we were praising him for how holy he is and how awesome he is but we were also verse number 19 addressing one another it was serving as a source of comfort and encouragement for one another. That's the way it should be. If we're going to live Spirit-filled lives, then we address one another. We make use of the horizontal aspect of worship where I'm addressing you and you're addressing me as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The second participle that Paul gives us, if we're going to live Spirit-filled lives, he says we do it by singing. This is a more general term. In the beginning of verse 19, he says that we're addressing one another. That's something that we do in the assembly. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is more general, just singing. Whether it's inside of assembly or whether it's outside of the assembly. If we want to live Spirit-filled lives, we need to spend time singing. We need to spend time in song. Do you ever sing to God throughout the week? Do you ever sing praise to Him whenever you're outside of this building? When you're driving to work? 
when you're in the shower, before you go to bed, right when you wake up, when you're cleaning the house, when you're washing the dishes? Do you ever take time to connect with God in that way throughout the week? I think Paul is suggesting that that's what we should do. That when we're here, we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But also throughout the week, we continue to sing and we continue to praise God for who He is and for what He's done in our lives. I think according to verse 18 down to verse 19, that's what we must do in order to live Spirit-filled lives. Number three, in order to live Spirit-filled lives, we make melody to the Lord with our hearts. I know that there are some people in the Lord's church who don't really like to sing. Or maybe it's that they don't like the sound of their singing voice. I don't like the sound of my singing voice either. Back whenever I was in middle school, I was actually in chorus for a couple years. But you know why I was? Two reasons. Number one, middle school boy, okay? Do you know what it was? My girlfriend was in the chorus. So, of course, I'm going to be in the chorus. And I was really good at lip singing. I remember one time I was, I was lip singing. And, of course, everybody was singing around me. And the... the teacher pointed me out in front of the whole class said good job Tyler I can hear you I, I just kept on kept on going I guess I was pretty good at lip singing I realize some people in the church don't like to sing some people in the church don't like the sound of their singing voice what we have to realize in verse 19 that's not what it's about it's not about you know, it being embarrassing whenever I sing. It's not about my singing voice doesn't sound very good. If we're going to live Spirit-filled lives, we make melody to the Lord with our hearts. This is not something where we just go through the motions, where we're singing and we're not really thinking about what we're singing. It's just words coming out of our mouths, or maybe our mouths are barely moving and the words are barely falling out. When we sing, Oh, How I Love Jesus, we shouldn't be thinking about what we're going to eat a little bit later on tonight. Whenever we sing songs like Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, we shouldn't be thinking about the busy week that we have planned ahead of us. When we sing Oh How We Love Jesus, we should be thinking about and deeply meditating on how much we love Jesus. When we sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, we're reflecting on in our hearts and deeply thinking on how our chains are gone and how amazing God's grace actually is. We don't go through the motions. It's not a box that I check. It's that my heart is deeply involved in worship. It's not about how good I sound, but it's about the disposition of my heart as I approach God and praise Him like we've been saying for how awesome He is and how He continues to bless our lives. Number four, we live Spirit-filled lives according to this text by giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of God of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like what a commentator named Clinton Arnold has to say about this. He says, constant gratitude to the Father for all that He has done for His people in and through the Lord Jesus Christ should be a defining characteristic of the lives of all believers. That's true, isn't it? Giving thanks to God, expressing our gratitude to Him shouldn't be something that's rare. It shouldn't be something that happens maybe once a month, once a week, even once a day. It should be a defining characteristic of those of us who have dedicated our lives to serving Him. Paul uses all-encompassing terms in this verse. He doesn't say give thanks some of the time and for some of the things that you have. 
He doesn't say give thanks only when things are going well in your life and when everything seems to be clicking and circumstances are exactly as you want them to be. No, He says you give thanks to God always. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. Look at how God has blessed you. Give thanks to Him always and for everything in the name by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. How often do we overlook God's blessings in our lives? How often are we content to receive and receive and receive from God, but yet we're like the lepers who never come back to Jesus to give Him thanks, to express gratitude to Him for the cleansing that He's provided and the blessing that He has given. If we're going to live Spirit-filled lives, our lives should be defined by thanksgiving. Like we talked about this morning, our lives should be defined by gratitude at all times and for all things. And then finally, number five, if we're going to live Spirit-filled lives, he says we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit. We understand the word submit when it comes to people who are in authority over us, don't we? And that's, Paul's going to talk about that. Throughout the rest of Ephesians 5, even into Ephesians 6, he's going to talk about from jumping off of verse 21, how wives should submit to their husbands, how children should submit to their parents, how servants should submit to their masters. Paul's going to talk about that. We understand submission when it comes to people who are in authority over us. Here, that's not what we're talking about. Paul says we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm to submit to you, and you are to submit to me. That means sometimes I'm going to have to give in to what you think. I have an idea that's the best thing since sliced bread. You have an idea that you think is the best thing since sliced bread. Well, which idea are we going to go with? Somebody's going to have to submit. Somebody's going to have to submit to them. I'm going to have to submit to you, or you're going to have to submit To me, if we're going to live in unity, if this is going to be the Christian community that God wants it to be, then sometimes I have to give up what I want. And I have to give up what plan or idea I think is best to submit to you. What plan or idea you think is best. makes me think about what Paul says in Ephesians 4, the first three verses of that chapter. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Well, tell me a little bit more about what that looks like. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We've already seen in Ephesians that we are to live in unity with one another. Paul tells the Philippians in Philippians 2, that they are to live in unity with one another. We talked about that in our Bible class this morning. Jesus prayed in John 17 for His disciples to live and dwell together in unity, to be one just like Him and the Father are one. Here Paul says, through humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, putting up with one another in love, we are to do everything that we can to be one to live as unity, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You look back at verse number 21, can I tell you that there will never be unity if there's not submission? We're never going to be able to live in unity with one another if we're not willing to submit, if we're not willing to yield to one another. If I stand with my idea and you stand with your idea and neither of us are going to budge on it, it's going to be really difficult for us to be one. 
But whenever we submit to one another, we're able to fulfill the prayer of Jesus, us being one, just like Him and the Father are one. This submission, it really doesn't have anything to do with who we are. And that's what I love about this verse. This submission doesn't have to do with who I am or who you are. This submission has everything to do with who Jesus is. I don't submit to you because you're an authority over me. I don't submit to you because you're smarter than I am, even though you probably are. And you don't submit to me for those reasons. Paul says we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because I have a reverence for Jesus, I'm going to submit to you. It's not about you, it's about Him. Because I respect Jesus, I'm going to submit to you. And because you respect Jesus, sometimes you're going to submit to me. That's what the body of Christ looks like. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if we're going to live Spirit-filled lives, according to Paul, that is what we must do. I think it's a shame that we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. We talk about God a lot. We talk about Jesus a lot. But rarely is the Holy Spirit ever mentioned or emphasized. And maybe that's because there's a lot of different views about the Spirit, right? There are a lot of different religious groups that view the Spirit in a lot of different ways. There are some religious groups who believe that the Spirit works in ways today that I don't believe He works in. But when we look at Ephesians 5, I think we do find a way that the Spirit works. Paul commands us, we can be obedient or we can be disobedient. Be filled with the Spirit. Live a Spirit-filled life. Well, how do I do that? We address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing. We make melody to the Lord with our hearts. We give thanks to God always and for everything. And we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It brings us back to the question we started with, what fills your life? Is your life filled with sin, debauchery, wastefulness, greed, selfishness? Or are you living a life every day that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Maybe tonight you need to make that first step. You need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. You need to obey what God has told you to do in order to become His child, to allow the Spirit to dwell in you and to allow this feeling to take place. We'd love to help you with that. Or maybe this is something you need to come back to. Maybe you haven't been filled with the Spirit like you should. You've not been doing those five things that Paul lists for us in verses 19 through 21. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to bring your name before the throne of God if you'd give us that privilege. Together we stand and sing.